Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thanks for joining us. Defining the emergent Christian movement is a little like defining the color blue to someone who's never seen it or experienced it. Critics say the emergent movement is simply another wishy-washy liberal watering down of the gospel. Tony Jones, in his new book, The New Christians, disagrees. He'll tell us why, to him, the emergent movement is a third way between religious conservatives and liberals. But first, this special announcement. In September, my first book will be released by Josie Bass, but the good news is you don't have to wait until September to order your copy of Bulletproof Faith, a spiritual survival guide for gay and lesbian Christians. The book is now available for pre-order through Amazon.com. Just go over to Amazon and search for the title Bulletproof Faith, and the book will appear. I'll be planning book signings and other appearances later this year. If you're interested in having me come to your church or speak or sign books, you can contact me at editor at whosoever.org. I'm already starting to book dates in September and October, so please let me know if you'd like me to come to your area. I look forward to meeting as many folks around the country as possible and spreading the good news of God's unconditional love for us all. recently took a quiz that promised to reveal your theological style. According to this quiz, I scored 89% as an emergent postmodern. The quiz results said, you feel alienated from older forms of church. You don't think they connect to modern culture very well. No one knows the whole truth about God, and we have much to learn from each other, and so learning takes place in dialogue. Evangelism should take place in relationship rather than through crusades and altar calls. People are interested in spirituality and want to ask questions, so the church should help them do this. That's the point of Tony Jones' new book, The New Christians, Dispatches from the Emergent Frontier. People are not edified by the old system of church, sitting in pews, listening to sermons. Instead, they're seeking dialogue and relationship with one another. It's through this intimacy with other people that we learn about how God works, not just in our own lives, but in the world around us. I recently spoke with Tony Jones. He's the national coordinator of the Emergent Village in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I started out with the toughest question. What is the emergent movement? Why it's hard to answer is it's kind of like saying, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, what's the core or where's the boundary? And mm-hmm. and um, the emergent movement is like several of the new social movements going on around the world today. It's not a centered set kind of movement, and it's not even a bounded set kind of movement. It's really a networked set or a relational set. So asking what is emergent, what's the center, what does everyone share in common is kind of like saying, well, what's the, what's the center of the Internet? Like, where, where does the Internet come from? Well, there's, it, it, the Internet really is a relationship between servers that hold content. It, it's not the servers and the content that makes the Internet. It's the relationship between them all. It's that web of relationships that makes it happen. Um, so that's how Emergent has grown. There's been no center. There have been some leaders of it, to be sure. So it's probably easier to answer that question in the way of, is there a, is there a common Emergent ethos or a sensibility or a vibe or something like that? And I'd say there is, but of course it's difficult to articulate a vibe, you know? <laughs> True. You kind of got to intuit it and... You know, to the question, well, am I emergent? The, the answer is usually, well, if, if you want to be. I mean, if you, if, you know, 
<laughs> if you're answering, if you're asking that question, then you probably are. True. Um, True. Otherwise, it wouldn't occur to you. Right. Yeah. Or, or you'd be saying, "I'm definitely not emergent." Well, if you're saying that, then you probably aren't. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it, it, it's also not a mutually exclusive category like. Presbyterian is mutually exclusive from Methodist. Mm -hmm. um, you can be uh, an evangelical emergent, you can be a mainline emergent, you can be a, a, a Presbyterian emergent or a, a Baptist emergent. Whether you could be a Jehovah's Witness emergent <laughs> or a Unitarian emergent or a Mormon emergent, yeah. I don't know. That would be more of a stretch, I think, because it does tend to be people who are Trinitarian and kind of kind of Nicene Creed Christians, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, mainline denominations don't really get uh, complimented. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, down on mainline denominations. Tell me why. Well, I think bureaucracy is bad for the gospel, plain and simple. I, I mean, I I think that. It made a lot of sense in the 19th and 20th centuries, after the Industrial Revolution, with with the rise of the rise of big, you know, big nation-state governments, big universities, big multinational corporations, big NGOs and nonprofits, and the church, you know, understandably said, "Well, we want to play on that ball field, so let's." gather up all of our posse and uh, plant a big headquarters in Chicago or Louisville or Nashville or, or New Cleveland, where the, where the UCC or is. Cleveland, yeah. right, or Cleveland. <laughs> Let's have a big office building. We'll have a bunch of bureaucrats uh, in cubicles. Uh, we'll call them, uh, we won't call them middle managers. Let's call them mid-level judicatories or let's call them synods or let's call them bishops or district superintendents. And it it was a way that was in. It was a move that was in no way theological. It was, I think, purely cultural. And as a result, now culture has changed. And you know, go to your local bookstore and read any of the number of business books about how no businesses run like that anymore. At least, not successful ones. Mm -hmm. How universities are changing the way they're structured. How hospitals are changing the way they're structured. Everything's getting flat. Um, it's going. Everything's going global, mm -hmm. and these big denominations, I'm afraid, are really not well suited for this change. In fact, honestly, the U.S. government isn't particularly well suited for this change either. <laughs> so it seems that nonprofits and, and public sector organizations have a harder time adjusting, especially in a global capitalist kind of market. You know, for-profit businesses have no choice but to change and mm -hmm. shift their customer service call centers to India, you know, or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, nonprofits have a harder time changing, as we can, you know, show with ample evidence through the history of the church. And I'm sure as a lesbian, yeah. you, you've probably struggled with this too, how culture seems to be outstripping the church and its ability to, oh, yeah. what do we do with gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual, transgendered people. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's um, a, a good topic to talk about. I mean, gay Christians have wandered in the wilderness for a long time uh, within the church, within society. Uh, can gay and lesbian people find a home in the emergent movement? That really is a two-way street, isn't it? I yes. mean, I, I had um, 
I remember a couple of years back, I had a, a woman call me and she said, uh, you know, I've been reading all the Emergent Church blogs and I'm very intrigued by it. I, I'm, a U, I'm a UCC pastor in New Hampshire and I happen to be a lesbian and I just wonder, is there a place for me in Emergent? Mm. I mean, she was quite blunt with the question. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, off the, off the cuff response to her was, well, uh, if you're willing to sit at a table with people who don't even let women be elders or preach in their churches. Yeah. I mean, if your if your ideology is more important than your your commitment to conversation, then probably you will feel uncomfortable and emergent mm -hmm. because uh, there will be. I mean, we've worked very hard to make it a place that's safe for people all across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So the same. I mean, I answer the same way to a you know conservative fundamentalist pastor and saying, well, if you're not capable of having a respectful theological conversation with a lesbian, then no, you shouldn't come to emergent stuff. <laughs> I've angered several of my Episcopalian friends saying is uh, in, in public at a couple of Episcopal events recently, you know, our problem isn't the fact that you all have, or not our problem, excuse me, the problem isn't that you all have a gay bishop. Mm -hmm. The problem is that you have bishops. So in churches that have no understanding of an elite clergy class, where there are special people who get to do special things like say the magic words over the magic bread and the magic juice, mm -hmm. um, then there's no, then you know what I'm saying, with no elite class, once you have an elite class of leadership, uh -huh. Then you have to start determining, well, who gets to be in that elite class? Right. And you say, well, can al an alcoholic, can, can a recovering pedophile, can a, you know, gay person, can a... Divorced you know, person. Et cetera. Yeah. You know, the, the question, and this is why I make the kind of snarky little comment in the book that, um, you know, a hundred years from now, please, we're not going to be arguing about gay ordination, we're going to be arguing about whether clones should be pastors, you know, or <laughs> yeah. what do we do with these robots? Should they have their own churches? I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's more about the way we uh, attack these questions that are confronting us that is, inter that is of interest to me as a theologian and, and, and I guess, you, let's see, an ecclesiologist. Mm -hmm. um, I should put that on my business card. <laughs> there you go. So this is part of my frustration with uh, with the mainline denominations. And here's another one. The Pew Charitable Trust had mm -hmm. that massive survey that came out uh, a week and a half ago. Right. Saying that Americans are less and less um, affiliated with with denominations. They just don't care. This is why... You meet people all the time who say, "Oh, I'm a mutt." What, like, what what brand of Christian are you? Oh, I'm a mutt. Well, I was born, I was baptized as a Catholic, and then we went to an Episcopal church, and then my parents got divorced, and my mom took me to Assemblies of God church, and then I was in Campus Crusade for Christ in college, and then now I go to a Methodist church with my spouse. You know, mm -hmm. something like this. Yeah. Clergy don't get to do that. This is the this is the major disconnect. Is that so, pastor? You know, clergy. You're a 25 year old person, and you want to go into ordained ministry. You got to pick. What do you pick? You pick the UCC seminary. Mm -hmm. You go through their training. You go through their ordination exams. You go through their psychological testing. You get. You you put your resume out to UCC churches. You get hired somewhere as a second associate. 
you know, and you're there for four years, and then you become a first associate somewhere, and then by the time you're, you know, 45 or 50, you get to be a pastor at your own church, and you have your own pulpit, and et cetera, et cetera. But right. you don't get to say, well, I'm going to bounce from a congregational church over to a Methodist. I think I'll be a Presbyterian for a few years. But that's how Americans live now. Mm-hmm. And so the structure of... That Americans are very much treat church as a free market economy, which I actually think is a pretty healthy thing for the church. Yeah. Um, but clergy don't have that uh, ability. They mm-hmm. they buy into one pension program and they're stuck till till retirement. You know. So this is a real it's a real problem, and I hear it from clergy all the time. You know, they they become very frustrated because they're very loyal to one de- denomination, and they're, the people in their pews aren't. What do you think gay and lesbian people could expect if they went to an emergent group? Well, it, 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 it's interesting you said emergent group. You know, if they went to an emergent church, I, I guess it would be different from church to church, like it even probably would be in the UCC or, or another denomination. Mm-hmm. If they went to an emergent group, um, if they went to like a, a local cohort, we have these about a hundred cohorts that meet around the country in different cities, and they'll they'll meet in a pub and you know have a beer and talk theology or meet at a coffee shop somewhere. I would think uh, the ones that I visited, um, I would think that gay persons would feel welcomed and not. Um, not in any way um, discriminated against or looked at sideways. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, put on rose-colored glasses. There are definitely people who come to emerging cohorts who are, you know, 23-year-old youth pastors at, at evangelical megachurches who are just out of, you know, Moody Bible Institute or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dallas Theological Seminary or something, and maybe have <laughs> never talked to a gay person, at least knowingly, you know. Uh-huh, yeah. And so there would surely be some, There, it's very possible that there would be some awkwardness or people wouldn't quite know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there might even be, like I said before, um, some real robust theological conversation about that. But like you saw in uh, in the final chapter of the book, I profile a couple churches that are dealing with this issue. Yeah. One is in Seattle called Church of the Apostles. And, you know, I write this story about sitting in a small group. And this is a church that is part of both the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which has a defined stance about gay persons in ministry, and the Episcopal Church USA, which is obviously in a real quandary about their stance right now. And yet at this church, you know, I wrote about um, this young married couple from Multnomah Bible College, conservative Bible college, sitting next to a gay man and both kind of deciding to hold in abeyance their own particular theological understandings of of homosexuality in the church mm-hmm. and um, live together in this community and work it out in community, uh, which that's, I would hope, what you would find. It, and it would, it would not be a dehumanizing kind of experience. Well, it seems to me, just from the exploration that I've done, I haven't attended an emergent group uh, as of yet, but it seems to be that gay and lesbian people would have to be... 
I guess, sort of secure in their own theology around their sexual orientation to to be able to hold it in that tension with another group of people that might also be willing to to hold in abeyance their opinions. Uh, But it seems to me that, that each group would sort of have to have some sort of strong theological conviction about themselves. I think that's I think that's a really good uh, read on that. I would say that the people who, who struggle in emergent are people. You know, and I used the word ideology before. Mm-hmm. I might use the word as people who have an axe to grind, or, mm-hmm. or people who feel like any. Um, rubbing of shoulders, you know, with somebody who disagrees with them. Um, if someone really struggles with that, and someone gets emotional about that, you know, it, it would it would not go over well in an emergent uh, group if somebody started, you know, passionate. Well, passionately is one thing, but if they were saying, you know. This is a human rights issue, and 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 crank up the the volume and crank up the heat on a conversation like that right away. Yeah. That that would be a hard thing, and it would be the same way on the other side of that issue. Or pick whatever issue you will. I mean, I go nose to nose with people at emergent events all the time. Some people who are totally into the theologian Stanley Hauerwas and that kind of Anabaptist vision of, of of culture and politics as a Christian. I totally disagree with that, and we have some very heated discussions about it. Or there's really a big debate within emergent circles right now about theories of the atonement, because mm-hmm. certain conservative reform people are, are really hardcore about this version called the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement that has been very popular in American evangelicalism. So there are all sorts of really, really robust conversations and, and, and that can even get passionate. When they cross over, you know, into, like you say, somebody who's maybe not as secure or something like that, um, that, yeah, that probably wouldn't be, a, it, it wouldn't be a safe, somebody probably wouldn't feel safe in that way. Yeah. If they couldn't in some way kind of objectify the theological issue and say, we can talk about this, theolo- we can put this theological issue out on the table and talk about it as an issue, and even though, of course, it has implications for me, yeah. you know, as a gay or lesbian person, in some ways I need, I'm going to objectify the issue so that we can talk about it theologically. Instead of taking it personally. Right. Not not unlike what somebody would do if they went to seminary and discussed it in a class, I guess. Yeah. Sort of a, I mean, passionate but dispassionate at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And now this and, is... And there's your paradox. <laughs> right. There is a paradox. And this is, I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, I get... As you, as you might guess, I mean, I get asked um, by people regularly, well, what would you do if a gay couple came to you and wanted to get married? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, uh, what gay couple are you talking about? <laughs> because human beings are not hypotheticals. Yeah. They're, they're real human beings. So I refuse to answer your question on the grounds that you're asking me about hypothetical human beings I've never met before. <laughs> if two people randomly off the street walk into my church and say, Hey, we're gay. Marry us. Uh, uh, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't would marry anybody who just walks. Is it my daughter you're talking about? M- my niece? I mean, 
it, it, it there's it really depends on the person and so we a lot of us in emergent leadership have worked really hard some people think oh you're just being slippery you won't ask answer the question mm-hmm. are you pro-gay or anti-gay you know we want to pin you down and we just say that is that's the wrong question yeah uh, the question is about real human beings. I think that's what draws me. As, as I was reading this, is the, is the, the, the either-or questions really are the wrong question. That the, the, there have to be both-and questions. Yeah. The, the, um, but I did like that, that you talk about uh, that Jesus's ministry. What, basically, what Jesus is about is a ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. and you're really talking about relationships. And when people get to know one another in an authentic way, that they can sort of put aside these hot button issues, or or work to make those hot button issues not uh, not not as hot. Right. Yeah, that's that's right. And there are. Um People who, you know, I have a little story in the book about um, meeting with some rabbis, uh, a couple dozen rabbis who are considered themselves kind of our emergent cousins in, in Judaism. And, uh, you know, when we met with them, and we're going to meet with them again this June, um, boy, it really, some people got really, really upset. Like, you really need to use that opportunity to preach the gospel mm-hmm. to these Jews, you know, this kind of thing. Uh-huh. And, uh, of course, that's not what we did, because that wasn't the the role of that kind of meeting. It was to get to know uh, people we hadn't otherwise known and to share authentically who we are. Now, uh, immediately, if you do have any you know uh, conservative listeners who stumble onto your podcast, I, I know exactly what they're saying. Well, that's just old-fashioned liberalism, uh-huh. you know, that's... But the difference is that uh, in old-fashioned liberalism, and I think this is why the uh, ecumenical movement of the late 20th century really never got traction, is because it was a lowest common denominator type of of ecumenicism. Uh, It was, you know, let's not talk about anything that separates us, Mm -hmm. because that's uncomfortable and awkward. Let's kind of boil it down or go lowest common denominator to what we can all agree on. So there are lots of conversations among liberal ecumenicists about, uh, you know, justice and mercy and peace and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not why people are Christian. People are Christian because of Jesus, you know, (laughs) and they want to talk about Jesus like any Christian wants to talk about Jesus, and if you go into an ecumenical meeting for three days, and you're with Jews and Muslims and Hindus, etc., and you can't talk about Jesus, well, boy, it's really going to be boring. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been at some of those, and it's a, pardon me, but it's a bunch of boring old people who talk about boring old watered-down religion, and I want to talk about Jesus, Mm -hmm. even with Jews or Muslims or whatever, because it's Jesus that makes me want to reconcile the world my buddy scott mcknight who blogs at jesuscreed.org which is just one of the best blogs out there says that jesus came for fourfold reconciliation to reconcile us to god to each other to ourselves and to creation and if you think about it, indeed, you know, we need a reconciliation to God, as, as the history of Israel makes abundantly clear. We need a reconciliation to each other, as 
anything makes abundantly clear in the world. We need a reconciliation to ourselves, and I think we're acutely aware of this these days in the days of, of self-identity awareness and psychology and things like that. And, and finally, we're becoming abundantly aware that we need to be reconciled to creation because mm-hmm. we've treated it like crap. And yep. So Jesus came to bring about this fourfold reconciliation, and, and that is, I think, core to the message of the gospel in, in Emergent. And, and it's interesting when you talk in those terms, things that have been singled out by the more conservative Christian community, and even on the left, because you, you criticize both sides, uh, when you start singling out these single issues, abortion, gay marriage, yeah. uh, even on the, on the left when they, when they get so defensive, that when you talk about reconciliation in that way, it really sort of makes, it, makes you understand how silly it is to pick those sort of divisive issues that, that are so not about reconciliation. <laughs> right, that's so true. I, I love the comment, the, the quote from my friend Tim Keel, who pastors a church in Kansas City. And, and when people try to pin him down on those, well, are you a pro-life church or not? Just answer the darn question, you mm-hmm. know. He'll say, listen, my job as a pastor is I look for where God is active in the world. And I try to get, I try to be there and take my church there with me. That's that's what he considers his role to, to find those places God's doing stuff and get on board with it. Um, and that is, uh, I think that's a great kind of mission statement for ministry. Uh, Brian McLaren had an interesting post that he put on an evangelical website, um, oh, probably a year and a half or two years ago now in which he talked about his experience of a pa- as a pastor that uh, a gay couple came to him and they asked him, you know, well, we've been coming to your church, we love it, can we be leaders in your church or not? Mm-hmm. Kind of one of these yes or no, either or questions. Yeah. And Brian, because he's a great pastor, uh, said, well, you know, why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, answer the question with a question, right? Very Christ-like. And, uh-huh. Well, it turns out that these guys were really struggling that actually both of their fathers had left their mothers and ended up becoming a couple. And so now these two guys were dating. So they were dealing with all sorts of emotional issues of, are we kind of brothers and we're dating and we're falling in love? And in other words, the issue was not the issue. They, They weren't looking for some kind of doctrinal statement on gays and leadership at Brian's church. They were looking for pastoring through a very difficult situation. Yeah. And Brian went on to say, you know, let's let's let the theologians debate gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender persons in our churches. Those of us who are pastors, how about we just spend some years pastoring and quit making grand theological pronouncements mm-hmm. one way or the other? Yeah. Let's just get to know each other. Let's listen to each other's stories and and do the pastoral work. Um well, as you can you can imagine what kind of firestorm that blog post uh, provoked. Yeah. All sorts of levels. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> because, yeah, on the one hand, they're like, you know, there are people on the left saying, listen, this is a human rights issue. You're wimping out here. You're backing yeah. off on, you need to be, we need to boldly proclaim the truth. And you've got people on the other side saying, you've got to boldly proclaim the truth because it's clear in Scripture, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so carving out this middle ground of rec- where it's about reconciliation as, a, as a opposed to being about um, a doctrine 
is, I think, the way that a lot of people in Emergent want to go. For more information on the Emergent Church movement and Tony Jones, you can visit emergentvillage.org. You can also visit Tony's blog at tonyj.net. The joke was always that we studied the words of dead white men, mainly dead white Germans like Karl Barth, Martin Luther, and John Calvin, like they were the words of Christ himself. Simply because these are the guys who made the cut in seminary history courses, their stature made them somehow the gospel of theology for all time. Sure, you could argue against Barth or Luther or Calvin. Often it was a required assignment. But it was always like tilting at windmills. No one was going to give more weight to your ideas about God than any of the great theologians of the past. What attracts me to the emergent movement is that they know the canon of theological thinking is not closed, and that the great figures of the past never intended to close it. Instead, they're inviting us into the conversation, to continue it here and now, and perhaps even arrive at new places in how we think of and experience God. Tony Jones is quick to point out in his new book, The New Christians, that the conversation with our past theological giants can't take place in a vacuum. He writes, Emergent Christians hope to avoid the danger of solo theology by intentionally placing themselves in theological communities, and the more diverse the better. The biblical proverb that iron sharpens iron explains exactly how theological ideas get honed in community. You know, we talk a lot about diversity in the GLBT community, but within our churches, we often have homogeneity. Often, we're not theologically diverse enough. You know, some have left the Metropolitan Community Church charging that it's too conservative. Some have left saying it's too liberal. What the emergent church movement invites us to do is to stay in community no matter what its leanings. We must be willing to be in dialogue with anyone and everyone who will engage with us in what Jones calls an open and earnest manner, not in a defensive manner. It's easy for GLBT people to get defensive. We live on the defensive about our lives, whether it's laws being passed against us or churches refusing to accept or ordain us. Defensiveness is our middle name. But if we're ever going to move out of some of our self-inflicted oppression within the church, we're going to have to begin to engage with people, even in our own community, who don't agree with us theologically. We have to make room for the other, not just out there in the straight world, but those next to us in the pews each Sunday. No one says we have to agree with each other about God. God is too large for any of us to nail down. Instead, when we're truly in community where we can engage in honest and open dialogue, our images of God get challenged. That image can begin to grow and change and improve dramatically. When we open ourselves up to those around us within our community and outside of our community and find dialogue partners who will treat us with love and respect, we begin to practice Jesus' ministry of reconciliation. We may call it an emergent movement, but I think Jesus would call it working to realize the realm of God. up this Godcast with some holy humor. Little Bobby was spending the weekend with his grandmother. His grandmother decided to take him to the park on Saturday morning. It had been snowing all night and everything was beautiful. His grandmother remarked, doesn't it look like an artist painted this scenery? Did you know God painted this just for you? Bobby said, yes, God did it and he did it left-handed. 
This confused the grandmother a bit, and she asked him, What makes you say God did this with his left hand? Well, Bobby said, We learned at Sunday school last week that Jesus sits on God's right hand. Thank you so much for joining us for another Whosoever Magazine Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org, or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been provided by Adam Kiraly. Other music includes samples from Reza Manzuri, Rob Koslow, and Heavy Mellow, all available from magnatune.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverans in your area when you join our Rainbowfish groups. If you want to know more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It takes money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web where we've been a valuable resource to our community for about 12 years now. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate or you may send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means all donations are tax deductible. Thanks for joining us and may God bless you until we meet again.